Well, we begin a brand new series, and I'm excited because we are going to be walking through two books of the Bible. It makes up 26% of the New Testament, um, almost 2,000 verses, uh, 52 chapters, almost 50,000 words, written by one man who is a doctor. And this one man who is a doctor who we know traveled with Paul, this one man who was a doctor who traveled with Paul and was so captured by the life of Christ, was so captured with this expansion of the church and this message of resurrection, this message of hope. But what's amazing, and I, I, I had forgotten this, what was amazing is that this one man who was writing about one man, Jesus, all for one man. And what I want you to see is in Luke chapter 1. And I, I told you this last year. Leonard brought it up. You've heard it from Bree as well. Um, we want you to bring your Bibles. If you don't have your Bibles, we had a guy who actually donated 80 of them. Some of them are in the pews, so if you need one, the verses are not going to be up on the screen. So I just want, I, like, I think there's something so powerful when we actually have to like open up this book. All right. So, so if you need a Bible, it's in your pew. Um, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to begin there. Uh, if you have a small black Bible, it's page 822. Um, if you don't, it's right after Mark. Luke 1, I'll give you a second. Um, and, and what I want you to see is, again, just this thought. I don't think when Luke was writing this, he thought, you know what, it's going to be amazing in 2,000 years from now, there's going to be this church in Elgin, and they're going to be reading my work. He didn't, he didn't think like that. He was, he was writing for one person. Just, just, just think about this for a moment. Just think about it for a moment. Can you imagine if you spent so much time writing almost 50,000 words? And if you've ever written a manuscript for a book... Um, most books that are 224 pages or 198 pages, those are the typical manuscripts that are, are kind of put out in the world today. That's basically somewhere between 45 and 60,000 words. So this guy writes a book about one person for one person. Look what it says in Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know with certainty of the things you have been taught. I can't get this out of my brain. And here's, here's one piece that I want you to think about. As we go into this year, and every weekend that we gather, we are just going to be living in Luke, and we are going to be living in Acts. I want you to understand the teachings of Jesus and how to be empowered by the Spirit. If we can commit to that, I'm telling you what, 2023 will be a year where your faith radically grows, all right? But I don't want it to just be about you. 
I want us to have a little bit of the doctor, Luke, in us. And I want you to ask and pray and think about this question. Who is your Theophilus? Who is one person in your life? Could be a coworker, could be a family member, could be a friend, could be someone maybe who's drifted from God. Maybe someone who's like just going through struggle, addiction, mental health, whatever it is, but they need Jesus. See, this, this story was never just to be for us. And I, I am so committed in this sense to think about Luke going, man, I don't know the best way to reach my friend, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write the most orderly account to actually show him who Jesus is and what the church is all about. So that's what Luke and Acts was written two and four. So you're going to hear me ask, hey, how's your Theophilus? Who's your Theophilus? How's praying for your Theophilus going? It might lead to an invitation. It might lead to a conversation. It might lead to you sharing your faith. But every one of us, I hope, will be stretched in this year. Stretched to a point where you have to depend more on Christ and the Spirit than on you. And this is going to be fun. So, this title slide for this whole series, Luke plus Acts, And what we're doing is we're actually going to walk through, um, kind of almost like in podcasts, uh, through seasons. And we're going to have four seasons where we walk through Luke and Acts. And this first season we're calling, Calling All Disciples. Calling All Disciples. Now, here's the truth. Many of us, we uh, didn't grow up in a culture where we learned actually about the Jewish way of how to be a disciple. I'll tell you this. um, When I was 20 years old, I moved from California to Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I I had a mentor named Rob. I lived in his basement for a year. It was during this year that I began to understand the Jewish roots of my faith. And it was during this time that my faith, my understanding of discipleship exploded where I began to see the text in new ways, where the Bible actually became something that wasn't just rote and ritual and I should read it, but it became something that was so alive, so real, so relevant, so tangible to my actual life. I wanted it. I wanted it like never before. And I'll tell you what, in the last couple of years, I had to return back to that well of what it meant to be a disciple. Now, being a disciple is different than being a Christian. What we've been taught in our culture is to be Christians. And Christian often is, I give you a question and you tell me the fact or the answer. Being a Christian, and again, I have no shade on the word because at the original root of the world means little Christ. I love the word. But what happened is that sometimes this word gets co-opted by culture. It gets co-opted by certain kind of other outside forces, and we lose the essence of the word, which meant little Christ. Now, what's amazing, though, disciple. Disciple is what Jesus asks all of us to go out. Matthew 28, to go and make disciples of all nations. To go make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. He never asks us to go make Christians. He asks us to make disciples. So the difference between a disciple and a Christian is really, really important. And what I want you to see today is what it means to be a disciple. And I have one, one 
desperate ask at the very end of this message that I believe if every one of us steps into, it will change the landscape of our heart, our mind, our faith, our city. And if not, it has profound repercussions. So here's the question. Next slide says this. How? How are Talmudim made? Now, Talmudim is the Hebrew word for disciple. How does one become a Talmudim? How does one become a disciple? How does one become an actual apprentice or student of Jesus? Now, this is so important to me. And you're going to hear me and I'm probably spitting. I'm going to be loud. I'm going to be fired up. Because you have to understand, when I discovered this, from Rob and from a man named Ray, Ray Vanderlaan in Holland. Ray would make me come see him at 5 a.m. at a truck stop. And this dude was like Red Bull in the flesh. And Ray Vanderlaan was 50 years old and had more fire, more chutzpah than anything I'd ever seen. And I would be sitting with this guy. And we would be at 5 a.m. at a truck stop. And this guy would be seated across from me. And he would be screaming at me. You're not passionate enough about the text. You gotta want it. And I'm like, bro, I don't. I'm here at 5 a.m. How much more do I have to show you that I want it? He would, he would grab the text. And he would say, man, you see when Jeremiah would talk that there was a fire, a fire in her bones. Fire, he, had, like, he couldn't contain it. It had to come out. And I'm like, bro, I can smell what you ate yesterday. <laughs> but when you get around someone who has that sense of passion and fire to be like Jesus, you either look at it and go, yeah, that's really weird. Or you look at it and you go, I want that. I want that. And here's, here's what I actually believe is that people are going to look at you this year. And they're going to want what you have. But nobody just drifts there. So how are Talmudim made? Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to go right back to the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And Deuteronomy chapter 6 is fascinating because what you have to understand is for the Jewish nation... They prided themselves on a couple specific tangible things. Number one was education. They believed that they, first and foremost, could master education, that it would not just bless them, but it would bless the generations to come. That every generation, if they were adequately schooled, adequately trained, understood what they needed to understand, that they would be prepared to handle anything that came their way. So in Deuteronomy chapter 6, a passage that is, many, that is familiar to many of us, it says this in verse 4. I love the sound of some of you turning pages. Well done. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. What I love is in Hebrew, you can't see this, but like, there's another word that they add. And in Hebrew, it's the word mahore. And it's like to love the Lord your God with all your heart, yes. With all your soul, yes. With all your mind, yes. But there's another one, mahode, which means, and there's no like adequate transliteration into English. And so it literally means with all your muchness. 
Like you're to love God with every atom and molecule, every ounce. That's the goal. That's the hope. I fall short of it every single day, but that's the hope. This was the central verse to the Jewish people. If you could take one verse and say, what does every Jew believe? It would be this. Deuteronomy 6.4, it's known as the Shema, but it continues on. It says this. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Verse 7. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, this idea to impress, such a great word. We think of it often as like, I'm trying to impress somebody else. But to the Jewish nation, what they were trying to do is to take all of the principles and the teachings and the, and the, and the commandments and literally impress them on to their kids. Now, the question, the question became is, well, when do you start? When do you actually start teaching your kids the Torah? When do you start teaching your kids? When is their mind ready to learn? And some rabbis would just start to fight, and they would say, oh, you should start at like 10. Some would say, you got to start at 4. But what became central was one rabbi one day stood up and said this line, which I absolutely love, under the age of 6, we do not receive a child as a pupil. But from six upwards, receive him and stuff him with the Torah like an ox. Like this is, this is what they did. I remember being with like Ray and Rob and they were telling me this. This is, this is what they would do at six years old. And I was downstairs and I was watching kids go into Forest City Kids. And I was just thinking, and some of them I was like, man, I think you're six years old. And you're walking into this old church building and, and you're probably wondering, what, what, what's going on? But this is what would happen is in, in these cities, they would have a local synagogue and it would be taught by a local Torah teacher. And the first, the first day that this little six-year-old would walk down and they would be walking, holding probably mom and dad's hands and they would walk right into the synagogue and there would be the rabbani. The rabbani would be on his knee and he would say, my child, what is your name? The child probably would say, my name is Tommy. Oh, Tommy, Tommy, not a Jewish name. <laughs> I'll call you Jacob. <laughs> and as you say, so, so he'd like look at this little child. He'd look at the child. And then, and then he'd say, can I see your hand? And the craziest thing would happen, this child would put out his hand. Now, this child only grew up eating grapes and figs and bread and olives and fish. Maybe a little lamb on certain days. And this, this rabbi would take out honey. That was great, perfect sound. Um, and then take the, this, the honey and put it right on the kid's hand, all over the kid's hand. And he would say, taste it. So the kid would eat it, and his eyes would light up. It's like the first time, like on the one-year-old birthday, and you give your kid a donut or cake for the first time, and they're like, what have you been holding out for? And just starts like going to town. And, and the child would say, the rabbi would say, my son or my daughter, 
what is it? What does it taste like? And the kid would say, it's, 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 it's sweet. It's good. And then the rabbi would say, my son or my daughter, that's what the word of God is. It's sweet like honey. And it was taken off of the Ezekiel passage. And it was like the word of God became sweet like honey. And here's my honest question to you. How many of you, this book has lost its sweetness? How many of you, when you look at this book, you're like, oh, man. It's more connected to shoulds. It feels more disconnected to actually leading and guiding and shaping and forming and helping. And can you imagine if you were at the age of six, there was some rabbi saying, oh, that taste is when you open up this book. Even as you get older and older and older, you are going to continue to discover, oh, that this book is so sweet. It's so refreshing. It's so nourishing. It's so good for your mind, your heart, your soul, and all of your muchness. Taking it a little bit farther, the Jews were so connected that they created three classes. The first class at age six was known as Bet Sefer. Now, Bet literally means house, and Sefer means house of book. And so what they were going to do is they were going to teach you the book. And the book was the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And from ages 6 to 10, these kids memorized the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, which I know most of you have memorized, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They memorized it. And and I know for some of us, we're like, what? Yeah. Because they wanted to impress this on their kids. And some of us are like, this, 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 no, there's no way. There's no way that like, any kid could memorize. Well, just give them the latest hip-hop album. Give them, like, how many of you, when you were 10 years old, you knew all of Dumb and Dumber? You could, like, just quote. Like, we, we, we have this ability to memorize. We just choose what we want to memorize. And what's amazing is, at Bet Sefer, these kids knew it. Now, what's amazing is some of these kids who went through this would move to the next. And the next course, and the next class was called Bet Talmud. And Bet Talmud meant house of learning. And you weren't just going to memorize kind of the Torah. You were going to actually, by the age of 14, have memorized the entire Hebrew scriptures, or what we know as the Old Testament. Boys and girls, they knew it. They knew the word. What's amazing is they didn't just know the word, but what's amazing is in Hebrew, every letter has a number connected to it. And so they could do math with the letters. What's also amazing is they knew not just it by heart, but they also knew it in a way where you could offer up other rabbis' interpretations. And that was kind of known as the Talmud They had different interpretations that they could speak on. These kids knew the word. And you have to understand that this was happening during the days of Jesus. This wasn't just like something that happened in 1940. This was something that was happening during the days of Jesus. Look at Luke. Luke shows you it's happening. And if you have Middle Eastern eyes and not Western eyes, you'll understand this and see it. But turn with me to Luke chapter 2. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 46, you see this. Oh, I hear some pages turning. 
Look what it says. And this is when, like, Mary and Joseph can't find Jesus. It says this, verse 46. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now, you're probably wondering, like, well, well, how do you know? How do you know he was, like, part of this? How do you know his age? Well, go to verse 42, a couple verses up. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. So he's 12 years old. And all of a sudden, he sees some teachers of the law. He sees some rabbis. He sees some leaders. He's like, oh, I got questions for you. And what's amazing is in the Jewish context, what's so beautiful is there's a difference between, like I said, for many of us, when we grew up in, as Christians, we learned facts about God. You give me a question, I give you the answer. But in rabbinic thought, is when you would give me a question, the way that I actually answered you was with another question. So what's two plus two? Well, my answer would be, well, it's two times two. And then the rabbi would say, well, what's 16 divided by four? And what's five minus one? You would just go back and forth. And this is, this is literally what they would do to show that you actually knew an idea. And what they were trying to teach you is if you could actually learn the art of asking questions, the quest for God would never stop. Because at the heart of every question is a longing, is a quest. But this is what's problem oftentimes in our education system is that we've taught our kids for tests. And I know teachers don't want that. Many of them have told me that. But oftentimes it's like, oh man, what's, what's the date of the Magna Carta? I don't know, 16 something. I probably should. But, but, but then all of a sudden you're like, well, what's the Magna Carta? Why was it important? What's the actual story behind it? What's the need behind it? What are, if you can start to ask those right questions, the learning never ends continues on though if you were actually considered fantastic brilliant the kind of talmudim that just knew and memorized and had it all ray and rob taught me that you would then find yourself going up to a traveling rabbi a rabbi with shmiha, a rabbi with authority. Some of you have heard me talk about this before. But this rabbi who could offer up new interpretations of the scriptures. So when you read in the gospels and it simply says, you've heard it said, but I tell you, no rabbi could just do that. You had to be a rabbi with authority. And that's why in the gospels it's often like, who gave this man authority? Isn't he from like Nazareth? Like we know his dad, Joseph and mom. Like What? Who is this guy? And what's amazing, though, is these Talmudim would walk up to a rabbi with Shmiha, and they would say, can I be your rabbi? Or can I be your Talmudim? Can I be your Talmudim? And what this rabbi would want, and they called this Bet Midrash. And Bet Midrash was like 14 plus. And Midrash literally means house of study. So went house of book, house of learning, house of study. And this study was going to be the embodiment of what it meant to not just know the text, but to know a rabbi's yoke or a rabbi's set of interpretations and be able to embody that and share that with anybody that you met. Now, this idea of a yoke, this is really, really important because I want you to see this. 
You've probably seen pictures like this when it's talked about a yoke. You see like a bull. And sometimes like the, for the longest time when someone would talk about a yoke and I would see a picture like this, I'm like, that feels really aggressive. That feels like really like, what? Like, what, like, what, what do you mean? But here, here's, the, here's a better picture to see. This is the next one. And the idea is this, is that Jesus is head and life is through one. And you and your head are through another. And you are so connected to him and what he is doing, going at his pace, living out his teaching, embodying his way. And every rabbi had a yoke. A set of interpretations on the Sabbath, a set of interpretations on holiness, a set of interpretations on how they thought you should live. And Jesus goes, oh, my yoke, it's easy. It's light. It's easy. It's easy. It's easy. And this, this, I'm telling you, as you start to begin to flip through the text, you begin to see. And you get to, to the point of age 30, where Jesus is, and this is the time when rabbis would start their public ministry, he decides to leave J-Town, Jerusalem, and he goes out and he meets someone who is a rabbi with authority, who's doing a new kind of talk and teaching and interpretations out in the wild. And you know what he eats? Honey. It's like so prophetic. He's like, I eat the word of God and locusts, which I'm not sure what that's representative. <laughs> but like, I, I eat this. Like, I, I, I'm here. And his name was John the Baptist. If you have a Bible, Luke chapter 3. We're going to walk through Luke 3. Just a couple more verses, and then I'll give you my, my challenge. My challenge. So a whole bunch of people would walk out. And, and John the Baptist, many believe, is part of the Essenes, which is a whole school and movement of, of people who wanted to, like, get rid and not be a part of, like, the whole temple monopoly and business culture. So they were out, like, living in, out in the wild in the desert. So the people, verse 15, were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. But John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of those whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And John's like, hey, I know you think I'm somebody, but I'm not even worthy to Take off the air Birkenstocks of the one who's coming. Because this, this one who is coming is coming with fire and spirit. He's going to do something entirely, entirely new. And in, John, in Luke chapter 3, we see him getting baptized. And, 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 then, and then what's amazing is, is you have to ask yourself, well, if you begin your ministry, next slide, what will a rabbi need? If, if you're like actually a rabbi, what does a rabbi need? Talmudim. A rabbi needs disciples. So then when you start to go through Luke chapter 5, all of a sudden you see him walking up to some fishermen. You see him walking up to a, a tax collector. And he says words that I think are just so profound and beautiful. It's so simple. He just looks at him and says, Leakarai, come follow me. Come be my disciple. Which in that day, you have to understand that they weren't considered the best of the best. 
They weren't considered having what it takes. So what were they doing? They were, they were serving as fishermen. What were they doing? They, they, they were just doing like what they thought they needed to do because some rabbi had told them, you're not good enough. What's amazing is that Jesus actually goes after the rejected ones. Jesus actually goes after those that didn't have what it takes. Jesus actually goes and says, oh, no, 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 I, 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 I think if you actually follow my yoke, you are going to do some great things. And, and this, this, my friends, this is so, so moving to me. And, and, and here's the truth, here's the truth. If you actually look at the list, the disciples were made up of fishermen. We know there's four of them. A tax collector who was absolutely hated, a zealot who hated the tax collector, would carry a knife around and want to shank people who actually were part Jewish and loved to actually support Rome, and two business owners. We don't know from the text what Philip or Bartholomew, Thomas, Thaddeus, or James, the son of Alphaeus, did. Or I, didn't, I took Judas's name out because John just called him a thief. Um, but we don't know what he did either. But what we do know is from fishermen to businessmen, to tax collector on one side, to zealot, and everything in between, Jesus was coming after saying, Leakarai, come, follow me. So here's, 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 here's how I want to end this. And I, I this is my dream. Bria Leonard, we've been, we've been talking a lot about this is I, I read the Bible in a year once, and it, it was hard in, like, February getting through numbers. I'm not going to lie. I, I've, I've, I've read through the Gospels many, many months in a row. I, I've done times when I just, like, read through the Psalms. But I've, I found myself that, like, sometimes, sometimes we, like, approach the text, and we're like, oh, I'm just going to read it, and I just got to get through it. When I, when I write a message, I look at the text and I ask questions of the, test, of the text. But when I actually want to marinate on the text, to contemplate, I let the text ask questions of me. And so well, here's what we want to do this year. Because there's 24 chapters in the book of Luke, 28 chapters in the book of Acts, we want to call every one of you. If you want to be a Talmudim, to know his word. And so, each week, because it's nearly impossible to be a Talmudim if you don't know your rabbi's teachings. It's hard, it's hard to actually speak if you don't know his yoke. So, what we're going to do is, each week, we're going to ask you to do one thing, a couple things. So, the first one that you can do is you can follow us on social, because this is where we're going to drop this information. So, Four City Elgin. And here's what we're going to do is we're going we're to invite you to read one chapter a week. Now, if you're like overachiever and you want to read like a whole bunch of, great, do that. I'm not, not, I'm not stopping any of you from knowing God's word. But here's what I'm going to invite you to do is every day to read the same chapter. So we're going to start this week in Luke 1 and just read it. But here's the problem is oftentimes that we've turned our personal discipleship into just a personal solo sport. But being a disciple, you were always chopping it up with other Talmudim or with your rabbi. And, and what I want to invite every one of you to do 
is to not just read a chapter, but to also discuss it with someone. And so every, every, almost every week that we teach, we're going to be like, hey, uh, remember, next week we're on Luke 2, and you got your person. And it doesn't have to be the same person each week. So, so here's what we're going to do. And this might get very awkward because you get to actually choose to say, oh, I don't want to play. And that's fine. That's good. I'll, I'll know, like, oh, okay, this is, this, is, this is what we got. But I actually believe that we want to be deeper with Jesus. Am I, am I right? I believe that you wake up at 8.30 and drive and park and walk in the cold and not stay home because you want to go deeper with Jesus. So nobody just drifts there. It takes work. Okay? It takes work. So here's what I want to do. If you're actually committed to that, it could be your spouse to start. It could be someone you're dating or hoping to date. It could be somebody that's a friend. But what I, what I want you to see right now is... If you're, if you're in to read one chapter a week, show me your hand. Oh, dang, look at you all. Look at you all. All right. Okay, I want you to find one person right now. Okay, because I just want to make sure that if somebody doesn't have someone, I'll be their someone. Okay? You can, you can ask right now. If you want to text them right now. All right. Okay. Does everyone have someone? Everyone have someone up in the top, the cheap seats. You got it? Okay, cool. All right. We all have someone. If you don't, email me, steve.carter at fourcitychurch.com. Okay? Next week, we're going to take this even farther, and I want to almost flip the classroom a moment when I teach, and I want to ask what you heard. So, so just real quick, and then I'm going to close in prayer um, before we invite Leonard back up. Um, I want you to see this. If, if, if you read this and you're like, but I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, that's exactly what it means to be human. Just read it and ask some questions. Is there a word that stood out? Is there an idea that just like, oh, I don't, I don't know what that means? Or some verse that you're like, that, that was kind of interesting. Just spend some time and then read it again the next day. Ooh. And then what's so amazing is then you'll get to, like, talk. And if I called Ron, I'd be like, Ron, like, what did you hear? And Ron's going to have ideas that I've never thought of. And I'm going to be like, whoa. And, then, and then, then if I were to talk to Bithy, I'd be like, Bithy, like, what did you hear? She'd be like, whoa. And you know what's going to be amazing is you're going to know some stuff, and you're going to share some stuff, and, and then it's like an iron sharpening iron. Does this make sense? And then if you want your mind absolutely blown, talk to Asa. And Asa will just, like, and so you have these moments where all of a sudden we're getting more connected, but to who? To each other, but to who? Our rabbi. So that's my hope. That's my prayer. Um, but also what I want you to know is Leonard's going to come up um, in our team because Leonard is leaving today uh, to head to Rwanda. Awesome. Rwanda, yes. So... Uh, he and Four City uh, Music, uh, Eric Parks, and a couple of others are, are headed there. Um, but we just, you're going to be gone uh, for how many days? Uh, 12 or 13, get back the 20th of January. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. So you'll be here on the 22nd? I'll be here on the 22nd. Oh, Make it man. happen. Pray for man, me. Man, pray for you. That's awesome. That's oh, awesome. Yeah. Also be praying for Andy as well, because uh, 12, 13 days is a long 
long time away from, from this man right here. Um, but I'd love to pray for you. And then um, I know you guys are, I have some stuff you want to share. So let me just pray and I'll pray for you all as well. If you want to extend a hand, it's just a, a sense of, man, just covering over these two. Um, but God, we just pray right now. We know that what an amazing opportunity that Four City Church was invited to be a part of the National Prayer Breakfast in, in Rwanda. For the worship team to lead, uh, for people like Pastor Leonard and Eric to share. What they're going to be able to experience on the ground in Rwanda is a church and a people who have been through so much complex trauma and genocide and hurt, but also have a faith and a joy um, that is just so palpable. And I pray that you would use my friend in a mighty and powerful way. I pray that even as we're reading Luke 1, he'll be diving into Luke 1. And God, I pray that you would just protect the Davis household. Uh, we know how much you love Andy and, and little Carrington. God, I just pray that you would just protect them, give them the strength that they need um, to endure as Leonard is doing such incredible kingdom work um, on the other side of the world. Bless them, keep them, and also bless us and keep us. And may we taste and see that you are good and that your word is sweet like honey. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thanks, Steve. Hey, um, hey, real quick. So uh, Andrea's not going with me to Rwanda. That's, that's confusing for some people. Um, hey, I mean, because why is she going? Because you worship too, right? You sing and stuff. Um, but the thing, the thing is, um, she's 17 weeks pregnant and can't go to. She can't. She can't go. So I'm going to miss you. But we expect it. The Davis gang is, is exploding. There you go. Well, man, we are so excited for the Davises. I think one of just my favorite things about this season of life has been able to just do life with the Davises, like be in the same family stage and just get to do ministry and life together. You guys have taught us so much about leading and kids and just doing, doing it all. And I guess the Lord wanted to keep it that way because they're having a baby in June and we're having a baby in July. <laughs> we having babies. So we're super excited. We're going to need you. We're going to need your help. We're going to do this together. But it's going to be good. It's going to be a crazy ride, which it already has been. It's going to be real tough to go this summer, yeah. y'all. <laughs> but anyway, we just wanted to announce that to our family first. You guys hear it first, and then uh, we'll get to announce it to the world. So thank you guys for your support and your love and your care. We, we feel that and uh, excited to share this joyful news with you guys this morning. So We love you. Have a great Sunday. All right, grace and peace. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs>